morning, everybody. My name is Kirsten Hoffman, and this is my husband, Stephen. Um, this morning, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Good morning. Where is God at work today? It's a question that we need to wrestle with this morning. And I know that as we look at things in culture, when we look at the issues in our lives, our homes, in our educational systems, even when we look at evangelical, uh, evangelicalism as, as a whole, it can be really hard sometimes to answer that question, where is God at work, and feel like you can give an answer with some sort of certainty. Is God at work today? It's a question that we need to wrestle with. If you were just to do a quick cultural biopsy of our time, you would see quickly how the ideas and ideologies of secular culture, both on the left and on the right of the cultural war, they're completely failing. The idols of our culture, they're being exposed for what they are. And all you have to do is look at the fruits, look at what's being reaped as a result of these secular ideologies. Ever-increasing deep division over nearly over everything and anything. Virtual signaling, judging, and canceling, especially if you don't uh, embrace someone's priorities or values or simply other virtues. And it's so easy at that point to go, well, if you don't agree with me, well, then I'm going to write you off and we're not even going to associate anymore. Political issues, multicultural issues, health issues, financial issues, safety issues, gender and sexuality issues, and educational issues. The fruit of secularism is clearly on display. What's being reaped today? Fear. You see fear almost everywhere, and people reacting and responding out of fear. Fear of the virus, fear of being canceled, fear of sharing their opinion or their beliefs or stance, fear of the economics, fear of education systems, fear of what future our children will inherit. And this fear produces anxiety, which is on the highest levels that we know of ever. This anxiety comes from fear, fear of the unknown. What will the future bring? So many things are out of our control, the shifting and ever-changing culture, people changing their opinions and supposed facts, and something we just don't know what to do and what to think, and that also starts to breed confusion, and this, compu- and this confusion, if not checked, starts to produce frustration, and frustration ends up producing anger, and anger starts to produce cynicism. And when cynicism, cynicism takes root in a culture, you start to see this bubbling hopelessness show up. You start to realize that there's isolation and increased loneliness because people are realizing that what once they thought would be the very thing to give them meaning and purpose is now exposed and failing. But it's not just in secular culture. I think if we were honest and if we looked at certain parts of the church at large, I do believe that we would see that God is also exposing and revealing certain idols within the church that are also failing. 
The church isn't immune to embracing ideologies from secular culture that are completely not found in scriptures. And I know this might ruffle some feathers. There are versions of American nationalism and American progressivism that is trying to camouflage itself as Christianity, but it's so far from the vision of Jesus, the gospel, and the kingdom of God. All you have to do is look at the fruit. And it's not just that. Church at large, even those who aren't part of the church are seeing this. Like Church looks a lot like mainstream culture. We're propping up celebrity pastors, and we have this gospel message of self-love and self-fulfillment and enrichment, but we offer it with a slice of Christianity on the side. Ben Sixsmith, who wrote this article, The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastors, and he's a self-professed, non-religious person, he had this to say about the American church. If someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not following them. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks actually very much as if they want to become more like me. It's a sad reality. And the reality is, it's like we're all tempted, especially the church is so tempted. Every single one of us, we feel this to construct a faith around the phrase, follow me, that is simply defined as, I believe in Jesus, and now how do I grow in my own relationship with Jesus? We've somehow made discipleship, and we, we turned it into this privatized faith instead of a missional faith, that we don't understand the words, follow me. And if we embrace a privatized faith, the reality is people then don't often hear the good news of Jesus Christ, or they will not see how we embody a better way that reflects the kingdom of God. In the midst of everything that we see happening in secular culture, in the midst of the things that we're seeing, even within the church, is God at work in all of this? Is the gospel still the power of God for all who believe? Is the church still to be the salt and light of the world where a city on a hill should not, it could not be hidden? Absolutely. I believe to my core God is at work, and I believe it is God's very doing that is exposing the futility of all of these idols in culture and within the church. And he's the one that's out there pursuing people and stirring up people's hearts where people are actually looking and asking the question, is there a better way? And that's why we as a church, we need to grapple with this phrase, will we follow him? Will we follow Jesus? Now, I know the temptation with that phrase is, yes, I follow Jesus, because it's so easy for us to simply equate, I follow Jesus as I believe in Jesus, there it is. But that's part of it. To say you follow Jesus essentially means not only are you with him, but it means that you will do what he's doing, and you will go where he is going. So I ask you, will you follow Jesus? Is God at work today? It's important for the church 
from time and time again to realign herself with the heartbeat of Jesus, to remember as to why he came, right? What, what does he desire to do in the church and through the church? And I believe that if we were going to try to answer the question, where is God at work today? I think it's very important for us to go back to the Gospels and to see what it was that Jesus was doing. What was he all about? What did he teach? What did he model and reflect? That is going to give us some clarity as to what God is doing in our day this moment on January 23rd, 2022. So let's look at some of these things. Because I think so often we forget the heartbeat of this, or we know, but we just simply choose to push it to the side and focus on something else that will benefit us. So let's look at this real quick in, in Mark. In Mark chapter 1, verse 7, 14 through 17. Now John was arrested and Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Is Jesus at work today? Yes, what will he be doing? He will always be proclaiming the gospel of God. Always. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You will always see Jesus at work in doing what the Father tells him to do and saying what the Father tells him to say. And it will always be about the good news of Jesus Christ. It will always be, now is the time of the Lord's favor. It will always be about the kingdom of God. Is God at work today? Yes, but I don't know how. He's always going to be about the gospel. But not only that, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me. Not just believe in me, but now follow me, because I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to make you into something that you're not. I'm going to make you into a fisher of people. And the reason why I'm pulling this out is because we need to understand what Jesus was about was really twofold, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, proclaiming and building the kingdom of God, but also at the same time of calling people to follow him, to be with him, and also to instruct them and show them the way of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, which we call a disciple. We have to understand that when we say, follow me, it's not just belief. It means you're going to do what he's doing and go where he's going. And Jesus was very, very clear. In John 5, we see this, that he only did what he saw the Father doing. And he only says what he hears the Father saying. He came to do the will of the one who sent him. And that was his purpose. And that was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the kingdom of God, and to call people to follow him so that they would be with him and send them out. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. And he called the 12 to himself so that they would be with him and so that he would send them out then to preach. Well, Brandon, that was just for those 12. That was their calling. That was their purpose, not mine. I'm not an apostle. Okay, go to John 17. Jesus praying for those apostles, but also then praying for the church to come that would believe in him as a result of them. And Jesus ends up saying in John 17, it's like, I'm also praying that they would also understand that as you sent me, I'm sending them. 
In John 20, at the resurrection, he goes, peace, you know, peace be with you, because they're freaking out. But he goes, I send you as he, the Father has sent me, so I send you. Matthew 28, verse 20, go into all the world making disciples. Like, how do we get to this place where we privatize our faith, where we make it all about ourselves and what I believe and what I get out? And it's just me and Jesus and the church is okay, whatever. We pay people to do the mission, but we fail to remember that to follow Jesus means I believe and I will go and I will do what he's doing. Where is God at work today? I can't think of a better story in the gospel where we see Jesus embody both of these things at once, where we see Jesus embodying the gospel and the kingdom of God, and at the same time, teaching his followers what their responsibility is. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you, turn with me to John chapter 4. Every single one of you, I want you to grab your Bibles this morning, either digital or hard copy. That's totally fine, and I do want to encourage you to start taking notes. Notes are good. Notes are good. In John chapter 4, this is the story of Jesus meeting the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And probably nine out of ten times when this message is preached, we focus more on that dynamic between her and Jesus. But I think there's a significant dynamic at the end of that story that doesn't get a lot of attention, that needs to be brought to the forefront. But we need to start all the way back in John chapter 4. And I'm going to start immediately with verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, we read that and we just keep going. Right? We just go, okay, good. He had to go through Samaria to get to that place. And then you might even have like that Sunday school thing. <laughs> Some area, right? Like corny. <laughs> yeah, you got it. That's going to come back to serve me later. You'll wait and see. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, any Jewish person reading that, this part right here immediately would be like, no, he didn't. And why did he? We don't do that. And that's the point. When Jewish people were, were going from Galilee down to Jerusalem or whatever, vice versa, they wouldn't go through Samaria. I got this map to show you. The blue line is the path that you would take to go through Samaria. But that's not the typical path that the Jewish people would take. They hated Samaritans. Samaritans were heretics. They were half-breeds. They were dogs. They were infidels. They were hated. They were enemies of God from the Jewish perspective. You don't go through there. There's religion tension. There's ethnic tension there. Just not, not what you do. And so they would always go out of their way. They go either on the West Highway or the East Highway to get around to go to Galilee. And that was actually not an easy deal. It was a hard trek up mountains in the desert region. It was not, it wasn't easy. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Some people might be like, well, that's just semantics. That's a literary device or whatever it is. I think it's speaking of something more significant. Let's ask the question, why does Jesus do what Jesus does? And why does Jesus say what Jesus says? Did he not already tell us that he does only what he sees the Father doing and he only says what he hears the Father saying? So maybe the Father said, there's something for you to do in Samaria. 
And Jesus' delight is to do the will of the Father. So he goes through Samaria. And as we read this, he finds himself at this well at high noon. A specific well at a specific time. And then along comes a specific woman, a Samaritan woman. And not just any Samaritan woman, a woman who's been looking for love in all of the wrong places many times over. So many cultural issues already stacked up against Jesus. They start to have this conversation. Jesus asks for a drink. She's like, you don't have a bucket. They start talking about buckets and water. You know, you know Jesus is like, listen, I, if you asked me for living water, I would have given you, and you would have this like spring welling up inside of you into eternal life. She's like, I would like that kind of water. And Jesus is like, let me peel back the layers of your heart because I know my father has been at work. He's been at work in you. Like, I think, like, you can almost get this feeling, like, you can get the sense that, like, he knows that she's been going, this isn't working for me. And Jesus is like, peeling back the layers, call your husband. I can't. No, I don't want to. That's right, you have five. And over this whole conversation, she's just like, the Messiah, we know that when the Messiah comes, he'll teach us all of these things about worship and the hearts and all this longing and living waters. And Jesus just goes, I who speak to you, I'm he. He went through Samaria. God is at work. He did what the Father was doing, and he said what the Father told him to say. Now, what happens next in verse 27, I want you to lean in here. This is where I want us to like just to be honest and vulnerable with the Lord this morning. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled. Let's play with that word for a second. That isn't like, <laughs> look at what he's doing. He's so good. This was more of a, a shock. Almost like a disgust. Like, one, they're probably a little bit upset that they had to go through Samaria. And we know that Jesus told them to go get food. So probably a little upset that Jesus ran, made them go on an errand to even interact with Samaritans, you know, to buy food from Samaritans. And now they show up, they find Jesus at a well at high noon, interacting with the Samaritan woman with no one around. Like, like look at this. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said what do you seek? As if, I, like, hey woman, what do you seek? Or said, Jesus, why are you talking with her? They didn't have to say. Their nonverbals were crystal clear. Hence the word marveled. Fascinating. What does this tell you about the disciples? It should tell you that left to their own, they would have went around Samaria. They would have not have gone through Samaria. They would have never expected God to ever be working in the Samaritan heart, ever. In fact, you can almost imagine them saying, Jesus, what are you doing with her? We don't interact with her. They're, they're sinners. They're hopeless. Let them get what they deserve. You're too good for this, Jesus. You can almost like, get that feeling that they're thinking this and feeling this. They would have, have easily gone around Samaria. And let's be honest so would we. And probably, and sadly, we probably still go around Samaria more often than not. 
Have you ever gone out of your way to avoid certain people? That's just like going around Samaria. Where is God at work? Where is God at work here? He's at work in the woman's heart. She gave her life to a lie, believing that if she gave herself to men, that she would finally find, probably find value and get validated and find meaning. But God was at work in her heart. And God, the Father, sent his son Jesus to go through Samaria at that well, at that time, waiting for her specifically to have this conversation. He was already at work. And I have to ask the question, if Jesus didn't go through Samaria to meet this woman at the well, who would have gone to her? Where is God at work in culture? Where is God at work in your life? What if he's at work in the people you would choose to not engage with? You know, those sinners. You know, those on the right, those on the left, those who are pro-life, those who are pro-choice, maskers, non-maskers, vaccinated, non-vaccinated. What about religious? Do we avoid people, engage with people who are like Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist? What about even like Catholics? Where's God at work? I find a simple answer. God is at work wherever there's a beating heart. What if following Jesus means going towards those people and encountering those people at their well in order to show them Jesus? Would you still follow Jesus? It's a big question. Because when we say we follow Jesus, it's so much more than, yes, I believe in Jesus. It means I will do what he does. And I will go where he goes. Where is God at work? So the woman, in verse 28, left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me that all that I ever did, can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. I find that really fascinating Right, they already know who she is. Like they already know she doesn't have a reputation, right? And she comes, and obviously something fundamentally and significantly has changed or shifted inside of her that they actually listen to her. Like something had to have happened. And she's like, Man, I met a guy who knew everything, who started to show me my heart and even promised living water. Could he be the one? And somehow the whole town got up and went out to Jesus, which tells me that not only was God at work in the woman at the well, he was also at work in the whole town there at Samaria. They would have never seen it. God at work in that group of people? Ma. I mean, this is fascinating, okay? They come out of the town are coming to him, and at the same time, the disciples show up, and they're urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat. The food's going to get cold. That's what my mom always said to me. Honey, you got to eat. Food's getting cold. <laughs> Jesus in verse 3, 2, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I have different food. And of course, they're like, did they feed you? I mean, it's, it, this is just kind of fascinating. So disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something else to eat? 
I love this. Because it's like in this moment, you see Jesus giving the gospel, talking about the kingdom of God, talking about that he's the living water, like proclaiming that, and at the same time, using this as a beautiful teaching moment for his disciples, followers of Jesus, so that they can understand how they should live, how they should see things, what their priorities ought to be. That's what this whole conversation is. It's like, I have food to eat that you do not know of. They're like, what? Did you get a hoagie or something? Like, like they didn't even get it. And Jesus is like, yes, this is a teaching moment. Let me tell you, this is about seeking the kingdom of God first. That's what this is. What's your vision in life? What's your purpose? Why are you here? What are your top priorities? Is it about you and your own needs and your own wants, your own food? Jesus is like, no, I'm here to do the work of the Father, the will of God. That's my food, to do the work of the one who sent me and then to finish that work. I mean, this is a strong charge for us who say who we follow Jesus. What is our purpose? What are our perspectives? Like, do we seek the kingdom first or are we more concerned about our own needs and our own issues and our own food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Underline that. And to accomplish his work. In verse 35, he starts to speak about real life things that they totally understood in order to help them see the spiritual dynamics. Do you not say, which is of course a rhetorical, they would say, yes we do. There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, and I can imagine at this moment, Jesus is looking at the town that's coming to him, and I can almost feel the tension that the disciples are having, like, oh great, now we're going to have to interact with a bunch of them. Right? He goes, look, I tell you, just lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white or ripe for harvest. Now, this word harvest is so important. Okay, like it, we use it, it's like it's a good church word, harvest and all kind of stuff. But as a farmer would hear the word harvest, the farmer would understand that there's only a small window of time in order to reap a harvest. The harvest is ripe now. And if you procrastinate, that window will shut. If you don't reap the harvest now, and you reap it later, it will rot, it will get stale, it will be rude. Your harvest will not be as profitable. This is communicating a sense of urgency. The harvest is ripe. Lift up your eyes and look. Church, just lift up your eyes and look at all of the things that are happening in culture. Can you not see that the harvest is ripe? There's a sense of urgency here. There are people, there are people in your lives right now that are ripe. And there are some in your life that aren't there yet. And yes, there are going to be some in your life that will never be there. But it's there. All you have is today. You don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. And how will they believe if they don't hear? Because faith comes from hearing. 
And how will they hear if no one is sent? Well, Brandon, you can't just say that. Like, if I don't go, that someone's eternal salvation is dependent upon if I go or not go. God is sovereign after all. (laughs) Usually when people bring up that sovereignty debate right there, it's not because they actually want to talk about God's sovereignty. It's usually a cover-up for an excuse to not go. Just saying. I learned that phrase from my kids. Just saying. He goes through Samaria to a well at noon to interact with that woman who then goes and interacts with that town and there's this harvest. And I love what Jesus goes on to teach. He's like, and the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. Look at, look at now. Look, he's, I want you to see this, how it shifted. When Jesus said, like, I do the will of the one who sent me. Now watch what Jesus does here. I sent you. I sent you now to reap that for which you did not labor, a.k.a. God is at work in the world around you. Will you just lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is ripe? Now you reap. Reaping means you still got work to do. It means you still have a responsibility to uphold. And when we reap and sow together and we gather in the harvest, we get this opportunity to rejoice with God in all of heaven. We get to experience the joy of the Lord in the midst of all of this. God is at work. He's always at work. And he will always be about stirring people's hearts and drawing them to his son Jesus, exposing the idols in their life so that they can see Jesus. And he's always going to be at work in calling you to follow him, to live sent, always. So let me ask you a question. How are you following Jesus? Following Jesus means to go where he goes and do what he does. That means you are sent. And if you don't accept this fact of being a disciple, I promise you right now that your faith will be stunted and so much of the scriptures will not make sense to you. You will read it and you will struggle with it. When you read, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people, you will wrestle with that. You will forget and put to the side the mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. As you go from moment to moment, situation to situation, make disciples. When Jesus promises that I will be with you always, like is that just for me so I can feel good? Like when Jesus says you're the salt and the light of the earth, for what reason? Even when we look at the end of Luke and early on in Acts, which we're going to see next week, he gave the promise of the Holy Spirit for what reason? So I can sit back and enjoy a Holy Spirit goose pimple moments? That was funny. It says in Acts that that he gave the Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. 
And friends, the reason why I'm stressing this so much is because I'm, I'm just telling you, like, you can only understand so much of what it means to follow Jesus if you don't follow him, if you don't live sent, you will miss out on a lot of these things. And I need you to know that if you are following Jesus and if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, I promise you this, he will inevitably lead you to a well in Samaria. See, I told you it's coming. He will. Because that's where he's at work. He's in the work of people who don't know him. And he's in the work of us to go, to be with and to go. How many of you have ever felt that, where the Lord was just like kind of stirring your heart to go to someone, your neighbor, your classmate, your coworker, I don't know, someone on Facebook, whatever it is. Maybe it was that homeless person you saw on the street and you felt that. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you're going to that well at that area. And you can either go to it or you can go around it. If you ask, God, where are you you at work today? How can I serve you today? Who needs to hear about your love today? I promise you, God will reveal that to you. I promise you. And if you were to begin asking God, who needs to hear about Jesus? I promise you, he'll begin to put names on your heart. I promise you, he will do that. Because that's where he's at work. Lift up your eyes and see the harvest. It's ripe. It's a short window of time. And God desires for all to come to faith. And that's why Peter even says, he's like, he's not slow in keeping his promises because he wants all to come to the knowledge of salvation. So what if today, what if today God has something set up for you to meet someone, to witness about what Jesus has done in your life? Would you go to it or would you go around it? And so I want to encourage you, few things right here, and I want this to kind of like, just like stir you up. Absolutely commit to yourself this morning. Commit yourself to the Lord and absolutely refuse to be content with going around Samaria. Refuse to be okay with that. Refuse to be content with ignoring people, with ignoring those prompts that the Spirit would put inside of you. Don't ever be content with that. Don't ever settle for that one time years ago you shared your faith that one time and you keep telling that one story over and over. Don't settle for that. Get new stories. Don't be content with sharing other people's stories vicariously while you don't have your own. Never, ever, ever settle for not sharing Jesus. Refuse to not be content, even with your fear of telling people about Jesus. Refuse to allow yourself to be like, I don't want to offend people. Don't allow that to happen. In church, we as a church, we should never, ever, ever allow ourselves to be content with where we are at as a church. There are so many people in our city that don't know Jesus. Oh, our church is big enough. If there's still lost people out there, it isn't big enough. 
We should never settle. It should drive us to pray. It should drive us to give. It should drive us to sacrifice. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus? And I love, 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 love what John Knox said, a missionary to Scotland. Butchered it. Give me Scotland or I die. Give us Austin or we die. Ooh, Brandon, don't get too fanatical. No, no, no. This is just Jesus. If we don't understand this, when Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel, when Paul says, I'm willing to die for the sake of my brothers who don't know Jesus, and if Paul would say, my life it means nothing unless I finish the course, the race that he set for me, like, we will miss this. So friends, if we say we love Jesus, we should be burdened with what burdens him. And what I want you to do in this moment is I do want you to grab this card. And I'm going to go through a passage real quick, but I want you to start thinking about people in your life that don't know Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, we have this, 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 like this flow of stories. Jesus heals a paralytic. A paralytic had no hope. He was an outcast. Jesus goes to him, heals him. And then we see Jesus calling Matthew, the tax collector, the hated, the traitor, to follow him. Because God was at work in him. And then Matthew then throws a party with other tax collectors and other sinners and prostitutes. And, and Jesus goes there, talks about the kingdom of God because God's at work there. And then people are like, man, what's he doing? I came for the sick, not the healthy. And then right after that story, all in chapter 9, he heals, he raises from the dead a ruler's dead daughter. And then there's this woman in a, in a time that he was going there who was suffering with this issue of blood, which was another cultural issue that she had no hope. She goes just to touch Jesus, just in hope that maybe something would happen. He heals her. Two blind men get their sight back. Usually in that culture, if you're blind, it's because you're a sinner. A demon-oppressed man is cast out by Jesus who made that man mute. And then in this moment, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, he says, as he goes around from village to village and town to town, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, when he saw the crowds in verse 36, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When you look at people out in the culture around you, how do you see them? Because this is how Jesus sees them. And you almost get this feeling that as he sees how many people are lost, and how many people are like, just like lost in his sheep without a shepherd, you can almost feel this angst inside of Jesus going, I can't reach them all myself in this flesh. Which is exactly the point when Jesus said, and you will do greater works than these. You'll do greater things than me because Jesus is like, I'm going to give my spirit to all of those who believe in me and they will reach more people than I could in my flesh. You get this sense, like when he sees the crowds, his heart just breaks. Then he says to his disciples, in that moment, the harvest is plentiful, guys. 
It's ripe. There's so much. There's so many people that are ready, that are willing to hear that there's a better way. The harvest is plentiful. But the reapers are few. The workers are few. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly with passion with fervor, with your knees being so callous that you're just praying and praying and praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Which at some point, many times in the church, we go, yes, God, send people to our church that will go out into the mission field to do the work. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing here because he knows that as you pray, to the Lord of the harvest, to send workers out there. He knows that as you do that, your heart will begin to follow your prayers. And then when your heart starts to follow your prayers as you're praying for people who don't know Jesus, guess what begins to happen? You, he's going to start to prompt you to go through Samaria, to go to that person. Our hearts follow our prayers. And so I know that like sometimes it's so hard to go, God, I want my heart to break for what breaks yours. I want my heart to break for the lost. Friends, just start praying. Your heart follows your prayers. You don't believe me? Look at what you pray for often and then go, what's on my heart? When you start to pray for those who don't know Jesus, your heart starts to move in that direction. Yeah, but Brandon, then I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Do you have a story? Has God changed you? Has he touched you? Has he saved you? Share that. Never, ever, ever downplay the power of your story. It's what God has done in you. You don't know all that could happen. This woman didn't know. The disciples had no clue. She goes back, tells the town, in the old town, there's all of a sudden a revival that happens. It even sets the scene up for Acts chapter 8. So this year, at Austin Oaks Church for 2022, we feel like God put it on our heart that this year we want to focus on, we want to put the heat on witnessing, evangelizing, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe. We believe that to our core. But in the midst of that, we also understand that prayer has to come first. And so we look at 2022 as it's like this, this kind of like uh, dual, at, um, dual uh, focus of like prayer and evangelism. And I remember Oh man, this is, this is really fun for me. And I know I'm a, I'm a little long, just deal with it. Like I remember when I first got here in 2017, I remember walking out in the fields back here and like I felt like the, the Lord just put in my heart that like at some point, these courtyards out here are gonna be full of people getting baptized. A couple years in, I forgot about that and it was uh, COVID Easter 2020. And I saw, as I was recording the video for Easter, I saw a guy and his son out in the courtyard cleaning the baptismal. I didn't know who he was. So at first I thought, I was like, who's this stranger just doing things in our courtyard? He emailed me and said, you probably thought that was a little weird. I was like, yep. And he's like, I want to tell you what, God, what was, why we were doing that. 
And he's like, I'm not typically the type of person that goes, oh, I felt like God said. He's like, I felt like God said to me to go clean the baptismal. And I was like, why? He's like, so I just did it because I felt like God said, get ready. You're going to baptize a lot of people. And so we believe, we've, we've heard those things. We see what scripture says and we believe what God is doing in our time. And we said as a church, like, yes, we are praying for 500 people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're praying for 500 people to get baptized. And yes, we want to see this church again grow. We want to see this church be mobilized as disciple makers. And so one of the things that we're going to do this year is as we commit ourselves to evangelism, we're going to commit ourselves to praying. And we're going to do this in three areas. As a congregation, we're going to devote ourselves to a thousand hours of praying for the lost. And we're going to do that by having 10 prayer times, prayer services as a church that's specifically designed to pray for the lost, to pray for those who don't know Jesus. And we're going to commit to doing that also in our small groups. We're asking all of our small groups to commit to at least five minutes of every time they gather to pray for the names that you will fill out on that card of people who don't know Jesus. And we're going to ask you individually to spend at least two minutes every day praying for the names that you're going to put down on that card who don't know Jesus. And that's a thousand hours. Because we believe that our heart follows our prayers. And that when we pray, God moves. And if you don't know what to pray for or how to pray for them, just pray three things. Pray for open doors. Pray that God would open doors. Pray that they would have open hearts. And pray that you and them would have open mouths to talk about Jesus. Just commit to it. Friends, I'm telling you, we are here for such a time as this. So instead of feeling like we need to build a bomb shelter and build a bubble and run away, nope, run into the fire. Run into the darkness with the light of Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a moment of response. And what we want you to do is just to fill this card out, okay? On the top, there's just some information. And this top part is for us. We promise you we're not going to spam you. We're not going to hunt you down. We want to use this and get your information so we can encourage you and pray with you to send you prayer prompts throughout the year. And so when you fill that out, you can fill out the bottom and just tear it off. This is for you. Keep this somewhere that you can see it all the time. Your mirror, your dashboard, your forehead, I don't know. Like just keep it in front of you. Pray for these names. And so once you have these written down, we want to encourage you just to come forward and just put these names up here. And we're going to pray over these names. Okay? So I'm going to pray Seth's going to lead a song, and once he starts singing, that's your moment to come forward and bring those names up. Lord, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you that it is it's life-giving. I thank you that it convicts of sin, it convicts of righteousness. It doesn't 
come to shame or guilt us, but it comes to free us. Thank you that you have saved us. Lord, forgive us for those moments where we have failed to understand that to follow you is to go where you go and to do what you do. Forgive us for those times and moments when we would rather go around Samaria to ignore certain people than to go towards. Forgive us for those moments when we have ignored those prompts from you and those stirrings from you. Forgive us. God, would you forgive us for praying more about ourselves and our own needs than praying for the loss and praying for the city? God, we repent of that. And this moment is just a sign. It's a declaration of our repentance. Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would grace us with the opportunity to rejoice with you in this. Lord, we ask that you would open up the eyes and the hearts of our friends and our loved ones, our neighbors, our colleagues, our classmates who don't know you. God, would you save them? So Lord, we pray that you would just do your work in this moment. In Christ's name.